0: this morning. We finally are able to get back together. We come together this morning to to worship the Lord, and I hope that that you will be uplifted for having been here this morning. A couple things we need to be reminded of uh, tonight at 5 o'clock. The adult classes will all meet here in the auditorium. Wayne Barrier will be here uh, to give us a mission report. And also after our five o'clock service, the, we'll have our lads leaders kick off, and it will be uh, starting at least in the, uh, in the annex. Let's begin our time together in prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful to you for the many blessings that you give to us each day and our father we are so thankful that we're able to meet together and father we pray that you will continue to help us to grow to become closer to one another and to be the kind of congregation of your people that you want us to be in this community help us to shine our light throughout this community, and to let others see what it's like to be a Christian, to be part of a family that's going to heaven together. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First song this morning will be number 296,
1: 296. We're going to kind of mix up the first and second verses. This song normally repeats the same words throughout the verse. We're going to sing the tune just like it is, but we'll sing the first verse, second verse, and back to the first. So just follow along with the screen and you'll, it'll come to you. We've come into his house. We, we have come into his
2: house and gathered in his
3: pray with us with me please Father we again thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us a chance to come out and worship you and sing these songs of praise Father we pray that our service will be in keeping with the things that you would approve of Father we also ask you be with the ones of our congregation that are sick Father be with them and be with the ones that are attending their needs and if it be in keeping with our will help them have that portion of health That they so desire. Father, we also pray that you be with our with our country, be with our leaders, that they look to you for guidance, and do things that would bring us back to you. Father, we also pray that you be with our military. Father, protect them as they protect us. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, that we may have hope, eternal salvation, and a home with thee in heaven. For all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The
1: song of invitation will be In Need. It will be on the screen only. In Need. Next, we'll sing Walking in Sunlight, number 611. We'll sing all three verses in the chorus. Six hundred. Walking
2: in Sunlight, the oh, you be Lord, sing.
3: Today comes from John fourteen one through six. John fourteen one through six. Let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where
4: I
5: am going you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Good morning. You're all here. Isn't it wonderful? No signs on the pews to direct you somewhere else you had a special pew before, like, I don't know, seems like 10 years ago, you can sit on that pew again. Isn't that marvelous? It is so wonderful. It is such a blessing from God to be able to assemble together as one group, as one body. It would move us to tears if we weren't just already so thrilled to be here and worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And thank you for the way that you've joined in together as one body worshiping God this morning. It seems to me, as I've received some requests already, that when we're gathered as a body, we think about those that we're concerned about. And we we have a long list of people that are already recognized as being sick, but we learned about these this week. And we are going to have a prayer for them. I know you've been praying for the others already. Uh, Ronnie Johnson, he developed a sore on his toe earlier this past week. And it hasn't gotten better. He's gone to the doctor and going to have to watch it. You know, he's had some severe problems with his feet before. So he has to stay off of it, and hopefully on Monday he'll receive some good news. But he's asking us, please be praying for him, that he'll get some good results. And then Harold Eaton is going to be having shoulder surgery this week. So please pray for him and for Martha, as they are going to deal with, I know, probably a long road of recovery. She's already been in the midst of that, so both of them together we just want to remember them in our prayers as they deal with that. And then this week, Sandy Bonham, she's been having some health issues, trying to get to the bottom of it. And it has been discovered she is very seriously ill. She's here today. And I, I take that as a tribute to her great faith. But she is going to be undergoing some tests and Making a determination of exactly what to do about her situation. And I love her faith because she's not keeping it in the closet, hiding it. She wants us praying with her. And Sandy, uh, we're with you in whatever fight you face. Isn't that true, church? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you with grateful hearts today. We're grateful that we can assemble as one body, not separated because of any circumstances outside of our control. We, we have the freedom to assemble and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We've been parte- participating in that this morning. We're thrilled to join all of our voices together in celebration of you. Father, we're we're debtors as we come before you this morning. We all in in our hearts and spirits are on humbled and bent knees begging you that you would hear us, but we also have the confidence in knowing that we're your children. You love us and you want to help us when we come to you with our concerns. And Father, we're, we're constantly there with regard to folks we know of who are sick or afflicted in some way. It's amazing to us, Father, that you hear and you accomplish so many great things that are, are beyond our ability even to understand. And we just stand in amazement. But Lord, today, as, as we're before you, we bring these names that we've already talked about we pray for ronnie and for harold and for sandy each of them facing their own uncertainties and perhaps long stints of recovery and father i pray that not only will we be concerned about them initially but that as a family that we will be involved for the long run will be an encouragement, support, do whatever it is that a body needs to do to see to the healing of its various components. And these are so important to us. We pray, Father, that you will give healing to Ronnie, that his foot, specifically his toe, will heal and that he'll get beyond these complications he's been facing. Ask your blessings on Harold as he undergoes his surgery, that'll be a great success, and he'll get the relief he's hoping for. And we pray for full recovery. And we pray, Father, for Sandy, who has dealt with some of these things before. And we're just praying, Father, that there is a remedy for her most recent illness. We pray that her recovery will be swift and speedy, that she'll be stronger than ever. Father, in all of these, we we recognize that we submit ourselves always to your will because you always know what is best and help us to resign ourselves to that not not to be a selfish beggar but to be a dependent and a thankful and grateful one and whatever it is that you respond that we'll be happy and satisfied in it and that we'll carry on knowing that you have heard our prayer And we thank you for that immensely. Bless us now, Father, as we, as one body, consider your word, and especially today as we think about Jesus, who makes our contact with you, our relationship with you, possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So verse 6 says, as regards Jesus and our relationship to God, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's that last part. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Why would that be? Why why, why would we need Jesus to be able to access God, who is depicted as everywhere, in every place, in every time? Why would we need access granted? There's a text among many texts, I suppose, that we could reference. But it's Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. That text says that the Lord's hand is not short, or ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, nor his arm shorten that he cannot reach us. But he says that your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your iniquity, your sin has created a breach between God and ourselves. Now sin, you know, First John 3 verse 4. Sin is a transgression. It's lawlessness. So sin is, I guess we were going to make it as simple as possible. We just say sin is, is not following the instruction, not following the commands of God. He says, it's because you've chosen that path that although God could reach us, he doesn't extend his hand. And although he could hear us in our pleas, he doesn't extend his ear. It is sin. It is lawlessness. It is transgression. It is choosing not to obey him. That's created the gulf that exists between God and us. That means that in order to access, as Jesus has taught in this text, in order for us to access God, we're going to have to have a means of access. Jesus identifies himself as that means of access. Now today, we're going to take the components of what he says he is in order to do our best to get a better understanding of how it is that we truly can make our access to God, to be able to speak to God and be in this fellowship with God. We're going to see that Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the truth about the Father, and he is the life with the Father. So Jesus is the way to God. I don't know, is it me? But when I see a statement like that, I immediately think, well now wait a second. If I need a way to God, that must necessarily suggest that there has been a breach. If, if I need access to him, then I'm not with him. W- what has caused the problem? Well, what has created uh, the separation between God and me? W- why is there this hindrance? Well, we've already seen the implications of sin in separating us from God, but how, how, did, that, how did that take place? Well, I, I would take us back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that passage talks about God's creation of man. He's going to create God, a man according to his own image, according to his own likeness. And this passage says that God is giving dominion to man. He's going to give him dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then he reasserts in the next verse the very same things that he had already said but that matter of dominion—that's that, a significant word. It doesn't mean that man is just a, a caretaker over the earth. The idea is that he is the king of it. He is—he is, he is the 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 reign over it. He 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 calls the shots over that which God has created. I've heard people talk about going to incredible sights in the world. I've been to some places that when I saw them, I was astonished. And I had a friend one time tell me that he went to the Grand Canyon and as he stood on the edge looking at the vastness, he said, I, I'll be honest, I, I started singing how great thou art. He said, I just kind of moved to sing praise to God for what was right there before me. It was amazing. Maybe you've seen something like that, that just, it moved you in the moment. Maybe threw you down on your knees. Maybe you started praying, You're just overwhelmed with the recognition of God's greatness. Or when you peer out into the universe, you look at the stars and the sun and the moon, and you are amazed at that. But when God looks at all those things, He's amazed when he looks at, at you. I guess now, though, amazed at what he sees, you know, that that could have been, because God desired dominion for man, but man committed sin and was arrested of that. He aspired to this glory, but because of sin is Separated from that glory. Sin, sin is Sin is a deadly thing. When James talks about it, James chapter one, beginning at verse thirteen, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Sin brings death. But it didn't start there. It started in a situation that nobody knew a thing about. It's likened, I take the imagery, it's likened to a pregnancy. A pregnancy. You know, for several months when a woman is pregnant, nobody knows a thing about it. You can't tell physically that anything's changed. But as the baby continues to grow and becomes more prominent, and before we know it, we start questioning but we're not sure. And dare anybody ask a woman, she's she pregnant? Then eventually word is out and we rejoice, but we don't see that baby yet. Finally, the baby's born. It's out into the world. We see the child. Sin is likened to the hidden aspects of the pregnancy. Sin hidden for a long time. We think we can keep the lid on it, so to speak. But he says it will continue to grow and eventually it will come forth. And the result of that, well, is the same result that always comes. Sin brings death. It's amazing that anyone would be so in love with the world that they would choose that. Maybe it's out of ignorance, just don't recognize the consequences of sin, of lawlessness, of choosing not to obey God. In First John chapter 2, 15 and following, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, it's not of the Father. It's of the world, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The person chooses not not to turn their back on God, but chooses to obey God, right? That, that's a positive end. But what we're seeing is that sin, sin has its traps. And he says, you can see it in the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The very same thing that resulted in the separation that occurred from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter three and verse six, the woman saw that tree that she had been forbidden along with her husband to eat the fruit thereof. But when she looked at it, when she considered it, having been prompted and encouraged by Satan himself, she looked at that tree, she saw it was pleasant to the eyes, was good for food, desirable to make one wise. And she partook of it and she ate it. And then she shared it with her husband and he ate it. They committed sin. They transgressed. They became lawless. Even with one law, (laughs) they had been separated because of that sin, that transgression from God. And of course, subsequently... From the whole beauty of that garden of dominion, of, well, of glory. You see, when it comes to sin, all of us are lumped in that same category. Sinners. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, at verse 9, we find out that Jews and Greeks, which in the first century language, that, that's everybody. So the Jew and Greek, he said, they are all under sin. For there is none righteous, no, not one. You mean no righteous person? No. No, all, he says, are sinners. In fact, you go a few verses later in verse 23. For all have sinned. And there it is, fall short of the glory of God. God's expectation of the creation, God's hope and desire. And desire ruined because of sin. And the impact of sin, as we saw already, was a deadly one. But here's what happens. Sin in the life, we become the great deniers. We're not responsible. It's kind of like in that garden setting, right? When confronted with their sin, Adam Instead of accepting responsibility as the head of this house. Adam blames Eve. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12. Not only does he blame Eve. He blames God who created Eve. That woman whom you created. She gave me of this fruit and I ate it. You know, watch that now. Not just the woman. You, you created her. Oh man. Man, you ate that fruit knowingly. Accept your responsibility No, nah, He's like a lot of us. Just blame somebody else You remember Aaron? If it weren't so serious, it would have been pretty comical Here is Aaron who is to be the high priest of God the guy who's going to represent holiness to the whole nation He is going to set the pattern, the standard for holiness by which every other high priest after him is going to be measured. But it is that very same Aaron who, as Moses is on the mount receiving the Ten Commandments... Which is going to be the, the spiritual, the civic regulation for the people. Talk about the standard of law and righteousness. For them, there it was. You know, we've got those Ten Commandments. Boy, through the ages, that just becomes the standard. But here is Aaron. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 22 to 24. He's in a mess. You see, while Moses is gone, they're worshiping a golden calf. Well, where'd the golden calf come from? Aaron, what do you know about this? Oh, well, you know, Aaron, he was gone a long time, or Moses was gone a long time, and people, you know, they're just kind of getting antsy and nervous. They they wanted this, this golden calf. They wanted something to worship. And so, you know, I just had them kind of break off the gold things. I threw it into the fire, and then out come this calf. Seriously. Not me. I'm not responsible. They made me do it. You know, the, the people. Uh, speaking of which, think about Saul, the king. First great Saul, a uh, great king of the people of God. Oh, he's, again, going to be the standard by which many are measured. In First Samuel 16, verse 16 He had been commanded to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Uh, But then God is questioning, wait a second now. That's what you were supposed to do. But here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen. What's the deal? And then Saul says, well, you know, those people. Those people, they wanted to keep those. Uh, They they wanted to use them. Oh, they want to sacrifice them to you. You know, worship you. No going to blame somebody else, I'll tell you something, and you probably know this is so very true, it is rare to find somebody who will actually own up to their sin, actually say, you know what, I don't offer any excuses. I'm not going to say it's because I was raised in a difficult home and I didn't have Christian parents. I'm not going to say that, you know, my job situation has created an environment that has affected me. No excuses. I own it. I'm a sinner because I chose to sin. Very rare to find anyone who will immediately own up to that. It could be because of what you find in Hebrews 3, verse 13. Sin is just deceitful. And you saw that with Eve, right? It, it just, you know, it, it leads us, it makes promises. Maybe that's it. Maybe Maybe it's not just the deceitfulness of it. Maybe, maybe sin is just so soothing in the moment. Maybe it just is offering something to us that we always wanted and we're trying to take the, the quick way to access. That was the angle that Satan took with Jesus in tempting him in the deserted places. Every single one of those attempts to thwart Jesus' mission was a quick and easy out. Jesus responded not by satisfying his own desire with a quick return, but by submitting himself to God's direction. Well, if my situation isn't safe with me with regard to sin, if, if even when sin comes, we're so weak and will offer excuses, then what help is there? Well, the scripture says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ to all and own all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now that's from Romans chapter 3 verses 21 to 26. One of the terms that you find in that text that's pretty interesting is the idea that God determined that he was going to be a God of forbearance. God demonstrated forbearance with regard to us and sin. To forbear literally means to wait or to delay, to hold off for a bit. Now, here's the scenario. He said God was demonstrating forbearance through pastime in order to bring us to right now so he could demonstrate his righteousness. God was perpetuating an idea of righteousness, but holding back or delaying punishment. Wait, what do you mean punishment? Well, remember the matter of sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Sin brings death. So if sin's payment is death, then what God is saying is, you know, you committed sin. And at any point, I am justified in bringing death to you, uh, bringing the punishment. But God did not do that. God forbears. God waited. He waited. But what was He waiting for? God was waiting for the very thing that could redeem us all. Not just for us in this present time, but for all of those souls that were dependent upon God's forbearance for His salvation, for His justification throughout all time. God was looking to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus is the way to the Father. But Jesus is also the truth. About the Father. Now, now here's the thing. If Jesus is the truth about the Father, since you have to say it that way, then it suggests to us that if he's the truth about the Father, then someone was propagating a lie. Someone was lying about a relationship with God. So what is the truth? Well, back up, what's the lie? You know, if you've got the truth that's Jesus, yay. But what's the lie? And the lie throughout all time up until the time of Jesus was the idea that I could just save myself. I could be good enough. I could do enough good works or I could somehow cause God to be debted in such a way as to owe me heaven. To give me my salvation because I'm just so good or I've earned my way into his good graces. There's something that's mentioned here in our text from Romans chapter 3 in verse 25 that's pretty significant with regard to that idea. He says that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, those terms while they sound similar are very different. The word just as it's referencing God, means that God is perfectly consistent with His nature and His actions. In other words, and let's get to the root of this thing, God demands that we obey Him. And He has said if we don't obey Him, if we're not a holy people as He has called for us to be, if we transgress, then the penalty is going to be death. So if God is a just God, if he is consistent, perfectly consistent with his nature and his actions, then that means he is always, 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 no matter who it is, he is always going to give the punishment to fit the crime. And since we are all sinners, then he is always, always going to give the penalty of death for the sin that you commit. That's just. But this says that he's two things. He is just and he's the justifier. Now, a justifier is one who takes someone who isn't that, isn't right, and he makes them right. Or or in our case, if we are laden with sin, then instead of paying the debt to be justified would mean that I've been pardoned. Now, that seems totally inconsistent, right? On the one hand, there is God who must, because he is a perfect God, must punish the sin and the sinner who committed the sin. And then at the same time, he's the one who will justify a sinner. How could that be? Well, enter in Jesus and his sacrifice. Jesus, you know, John 1 verse 29, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the ultimate sacrifice. It is not the sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats that takes away sin, Hebrews 10 verse 4. It is the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Okay, so there is a series of questions we would ask ourselves. Okay, so, exactly what's happened here? Are, are you saying that now I'm, I'm no longer responsible for my sin? No, no, you are. You committed the sin, you have the penalty of death on you. Well, then are you saying he just, just kind of, you know, wipes it off arbitrarily because he likes it so much? No. Well, then how is it that I am justified? No, no, you've committed the sin, you are still guilty. But what Jesus offers in the shedding of his blood is a substitute. One dying in your place. When God provides the means of the satisfaction of the debt, then he is still just in that the requirement for sin's payment is made, but he's also a justifier in that he makes possible the forgiveness or the removal of that sin that I'm guilty for. Only that Jesus, Jesus is the one who's paying that debt. There's a statement made in the book of Ephesians, chapter two, verses eight and following kind of gives us the picture. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus is not just the way to the Father. He's the truth about it. You can't earn your salvation. The truth is he's died to make possible our salvation. So there's one component left. And that is, how do I put, you know, how do I put all this together? All that just sounds kind of like a a theory to me. Gives me a kind of a history of the unfolding of God's plan. But how do I become a part of that? Well, Jesus says, not only is he the way and the truth, but he is the life with the Father. Look, if I'm wanting life with the Father, the only way I'm going to have it is with Jesus because He is the means by which the sin that has separated me from God is going to be eradicated. It's going to be, well, it's going to be washed away. Now, here's the thing, the life. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said that the thief, he does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, oftentimes we talk about, well, yeah, you know, when I become a Christian, my life is better. That way I have an abundant life. And then, of course, I'm going to heaven. So then abundance just goes right out the roof. So yeah, I see that. And and yeah, certainly the scriptures teach that. But, you know, when Jesus came here, this whole idea of life was also wrapped up in the sense of light in the midst of darkness in other words this world is filled with the very thing that he said he he is the opposite of, you know, Satan is going to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came to be the very opposite of that, to bring light into the midst of darkness. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness comprehended it not. Okay, so here comes light, you know, the the life, the abundant life right here in the package of Jesus, but it's in the midst of such, such darkness that those who were even looking for Jesus couldn't see him. The darkness was overshadowing everything, and so Jesus fighting against that darkness Trying to, trying to put the word of God into the hearts of these disciples. Carrying on a message that would eventually begin to push back the darkness. But you know, here we are. These many, many years later. And that light has been shining on and on decades and centuries, millennia. But still there is so much darkness about us. So Jesus is the life with the Father. That blood, Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, that blood of the Lamb that was shed on that cross at Calvary, a text says that He washed our sins away with the blood. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, parallel thoughts, Ananias tells Saul of Tarsus to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Wash away your sins. How am I washing away my sins in baptism? That's just water right there. Yeah, that is water, but it is symbolic of a transformation that's taking place in us as a result of our response to faith. Faith and trusting in God's sacrifice, in God's plan. You remember we were separated from God's glory. All of that dominion, the the properties of greatness that were in us, have been stripped of us. And here we are bare and committing sin practically without thought. Now we come to the realization we are lost and the penalty is death. And I want that set aside. That can be set aside by the blood of Jesus. How do I get the blood of Jesus? He said, well... Be baptized and wash away those sins. Jesus shed his blood in his death. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that text says, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also rise to walk in newness of life, a new life. See a transformation take place there? A new life. A new life in Jesus Christ, which results, Ephesians 1 and verse 3, in every spiritual blessing. Now, here's the deal about all of this, and that is, for many who were reading these scriptures that we've kind of looked at in short form today, everybody who read those Basically, they were looking forward to something, you know, looking, looking towards something. Looking to the, the fulfillment, the realization, coming to a better understanding. We're we're way past that. It's not like we're anticipating that the Son of God will die for us. Uh, it's not like we're hopeful that God will forbear or that God will be just and justify. Oh, I hope that that scripture comes true. That That is not our reality. Our reality is, those things have already happened. That blood has already been shed. The access of fellowship with God is available, not in time to come, but right now in this moment. If a person is separated from God, it's his own fault. Because God has done everything within his power to make reconciliation possible. God has offered his son to die on the cross and he died to shed his blood and he shed that blood in order to make possible the washing away of our sins. Look, a free pass. You commit sin. Don't sit there and say, I don't. You do. And when you commit sin, you say, well, Ken, last sin I committed was 10 years ago. Okay, peace. i not challenging you on that. But if you committed sin, the penalty is death. The only way to have that death Set aside is by obedience to the gospel and being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. If I'm not washed by the blood of Jesus, then my sins are still mine and I still have to pay the ultimate price, death. Why would anybody with the knowledge of such a free gift that can be accessed today, right here in this very moment, how could anybody turn on that? It isn't as though we're waiting for it to happen, it's now. If you're a child of God and you've somehow squandered that blessing. You've returned to sin. Repent of that right now. Don't leave this building outside of fellowship with God. And if you're not a child of God today. Why? Why is that true? Why would you turn your back on a free gift of salvation? Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through him. You can't make it your own way. In Romans chapter 10, Paul, well, it's like he's in tears over this. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can do that. And only through obedience to the gospel, the washing of the blood of Jesus. Why don't you be washed today? Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing?
2: in need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy.
1: for the Lord's Supper will sing how deep the Father's love.
2: Amen. Yeah.
4: Supper this time. If if you haven't got a package for the Lord's Supper, raise your hand and the will help you. We read Jesus' ministry, he Instituted the Lord's Supper, he told his apostle he wouldn't do it again until he is in his kingdom. In Acts two, the kingdom come, and we find the early t- uh, Christian partaking the Lord's Supper from the first day of the week. Let's give thanks for the loaf as we continue. Our Father in heaven, we either thank for this time to partake of this bread that does represent the body of Christ. And we pray, Father, that we will partake of this in a way that it will be acceptable unto thee in Christ's name. Amen. Let us also thank for the Cubs. Our Father in heaven, give thee thanks for this cup, which does represent the blood that Christ shed over on our cross. We also pray that we'll partake of this in way, be pleasing unto thee. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> When I was the Lord's Supper, we also talked, First uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, to, to lay by and store. Let us buy and give thanks for all the blessings of life. Our Father in Heaven, we give our thanks for blessing us in so many ways. And we thank our Father for this opportunity to give back to Thee. And we pray, Father, that what is collected this day will help Spread that word about the community in the world. In Christ's name, amen. We have a place, each the door, where you can get up through the bank or the internet.
6: And I'm really excited about tonight. Um, you know, as one of the deacons over the youth, one of my responsibilities is lads and leaders, and I'm so thankful the Lord's blessed me with the, with that opportunity. But we are going to have our kickoff tonight. And with that, uh, Tommy's already told you we'll be down in the annex because we're afraid it's going to rain. We we're going to do it outside, but we'll figure out how to maneuver through that. With that kickoff, uh, we also have this fall carnival theme um, so I want to come up here and make sure you know that, yes, it's a last leader's kickoff. But if you are a young person, we want you to come. We want you to enjoy the, the food and the fellowship, the time together. Uh, we want you, when I say young person, I mean anybody <laughs> that that wants to come. Uh, Tommy, of course, he always takes care of food with, uh, with, with Braswell and others. So, uh. We'll have plenty, and if not, Lord will provide. Y'all all know, y'all all know that. So please come, but know that it'll be a last leaders theme. You're going to learn a lot of, a lot about last leaders. Uh, so that's just a little bit there that I want to say. I have two requests. <laughs> One is, you know, Cassie and I we do our best to get our lives together, uh, but we struggle a little bit. We we were supposed to get desserts and ask some people to bring desserts. Um, we 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 didn't do that in advance, but we're just looking for something simple like cookies or cupcakes. We don't want anything crazy that kids can just make a mess everywhere with. So if you run by Walmart, and I know a lot of you do because I see you every Sunday when we do, when we go. If you'll just grab some cookies or grab some Rice Krispie treats or something and bring them, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, Cassie and I are going to get some things today, no matter. Uh, so that's one request. And the second request is I need to meet with the event leaders in uh, my council. Uh, right here, right after services, for a quick meeting so we can plan. Thank you all very much.
3: And good morning right behind that before Todd comes up. I do have one quick announcement involving our K-6 through age group. This is to those kids, the parents, the grandparents. We're planning a through K-6 field trip to the Blue Mountain Pumpkin Patch on October 23rd, that uh, Saturday morning. Uh, We'll leave from the church at 830, 830 sign up sheet will be in the foyer later today or Wednesday and there will be more details on that uh, in the upcoming bulletins. Thank you.
7: Good morning. You're visiting with us this morning. We are glad that you chose to spend this time with us and invite you back any opportunity you have to to come back again. Uh, As always, be mindful of the bulletin that's in the back of the pew in front of you, the extensive list on there, of the sick list and those in need of prayer. Uh, Some of the announcements have already been announced this morning, but I'll go ahead and we'll go over some of those again just as a reminder some of those things we've got going on. Remember, the life chain is today from 2 to 3 o'clock. You can pick up a sign if you wish to have one from the TAC. Uh, also, the devotion to Landmark Nursing and Rehab is today at 4. If you want to help with that, please see Gio uh before you leave. And also a reminder, on October 17th, that Sunday, uh, a retirement reception honoring Brother Gio Uh We had 278 In attendance this morning, some uh, other announcements that were handed to me, I think maybe have been announced as well, but uh, Harold Eaton is having shoulder surgery on Tuesday, so keep he and Martha in your prayers. And also remind everyone, evening services this evening will all be in the auditorium. Uh, At 5 o'clock, Wayne Barrier will be here. I also have a card. It says to the Boonville Church. I want to thank you so much for the inquiries and cards you have sent since my surgery. Most of all, I want to thank all of you for your many prayers on my behalf. It means so much to know people are praying for you. In Christ's love, Josh Moore. That's all the announcements I have this time. If you would stand, I would dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and worship you in song and praise. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your church here at Boonville and its many members. Father, I ask that you continue to be with the elders, that they may lead us in a way that pleasing unto thee. Father, help us as we go throughout the upcoming week that we may live and work and be an example that will be pleasing unto thee and bring others closer to you. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, whom died on the cross, that we might have an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. And it's through his precious name we pray. Amen.